0: Hi everyone and welcome. Do you know what time it is? Do you? Come on now. It's Wednesday and it's time for your midweek Bible study. Hey there, I'm Pastor Tim with Word of Hope Christian Church in New Braunfels, Texas. It is great to be with you once again. Thanks for taking time to join us. Today is Wednesday, January 24th. We're continuing in our study of the book of Hebrews. Today we're going to be covering the first part of chapter 4 verses 1 to 13 and we'll talk about promised rest for God's people. But before we do that, let's take a moment and pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, Almighty God, we celebrate you, we worship you, and thank you. Thank you for the very breath we have today. Thank you for the chance that we have to openly and freely talk about you. Lord, teach us today about what it means to have rest. We thank you for what you're about to do. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen and Amen. Last week at the end of chapter 3, we explained that the Israelites who rebelled against God never entered God's rest, and that was referring to the promised land in verses 18 and 19. Now having shown that Jesus is superior to Moses, the writer now turns to another great Israelite leader, Joshua. God's servant Joshua led Israel into the promised land, and yet, as we'll see, he did not provide God's true rest. One greater than Joshua accomplished that. Let's turn in our Bibles to... Hebrews chapter 4, we're going to start with verse 1. Are you ready? Here we go. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1. Verse 1 reads, God's promise of entering his rest still stands, so we ought to tremble with fear that some of you might fail to experience it. Our opening question is this. This verse continues the thought from last week's study regarding entering God's rest. What does the writer mean that God's promise of entering his rest still stands? While the next generation of Israelites, after those who sinned and died in the wilderness, did enter and possess the land, this was still only a shadow of the final rest that was to come. The Jewish people refused God's plan and rejected their Savior, so the promise of entering his rest still stands. God has made the rest available to all Christians. Since God had barred the rebellious Israelites from his rest, the promise stands for those who remain obedient to him. The promise has not been fulfilled, but neither has it been revoked. But Christians should learn from the tragic mistake of the Israelites. The writer of Hebrews warned readers how serious it would be to turn away from Christ by saying, We ought to tremble with fear that some of you might fail to experience it. Just as God rejected the rebellious Israelites on the basis of their unbelief, so he will reject those who turn away from Christ, refuse to believe in him, or refuse to follow him. Next is verse 2. It reads, For this good news that God has prepared this rest has been announced to us just as it was to them, but it did them no good because they didn't share the faith of those who listened to God. The question here is, people from the Old and New Testament eras had received communication from God, but for many the message did them no good. Why not? Simply put, they didn't share the faith of those who listened to God. That's what the verse said. In other words, they didn't believe what God had told them. Not only must God's message be heard, beloved, it must also be combined with faith before it will be effective. Next is verse 3. For only we who believe can enter his rest. As for the others, God said, in my anger I took an oath. They will never enter my place of rest, even though this rest has been ready since he made the world. The question here is, what does the writer say about those who choose to believe in Christ and those who don't? If you choose to believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, then you will be able to enter into God's rest. Believing in Jesus may seem easy, almost effortless to some. And while making a profession of faith in Christ is simple, truly believing in Jesus leads to a life of commitment and discipleship that will put the believer at odds with the greedy, self-centered, cruel, and power-grabbing world. People who believe in Jesus find that each day requires a full effort, Those who believe in this way enter God's place of rest. For those who fail to believe, there's a stern warning here. Because the Israelites lacked the faith to receive God's rest when he offered it, God, in his anger, vowed that they would never enter it. God's anger is not spiteful or reactionary. Instead, his anger emerges from the perfection of his character. Since God is perfect, he becomes angry at sin. The Israelites' unbelief caused them to forfeit God's promised rest, even though this rest had been ready since he made the world. Everything God will do had already been planned and foreseen. The point is that God's rest has been available to his people since the dawn of time. The rest offered in the promised land merely pictured the true and final rest in heaven for those who believe. Verse 4 is next, and it says, We know it is ready because of the place in the scriptures where it mentions the seventh day. On the seventh day, God rested from all his work. Here's our question. How does this reference to God's rest in Genesis relate to what the writer is saying here in Hebrews? Well, the key here is to go back to Genesis 2.2. In Genesis 2.2, it says that on the seventh day, God rested from all his work. Did he rest because he was tired? No, he rested because of the completion of creation. The world was perfect and God was satisfied with it. So he rested. But this doesn't mean that God became idle. Jesus taught us that God still works. In fact, John 5, 17 says, Jesus replied, my father is always working and so am I. God's rest is both a present peace with God and a future eternal joy when creation will be renewed, every mark of sin removed, and the world is made perfect again. Those who believe will join God in his rest and one day be restored to a perfect condition. Our rest in Christ begins when we trust him to complete his good and perfect work in us. Next up, verses 5 and 6. Let's take those together. But in the other passage, God said, They will never enter my place of rest. So God's rest is there for people to enter. But those who first heard this good news failed to enter because they disobeyed God. The question is, what is the other passage? Do you see that phrase right in verse 5? It says the other passage. What is the other passage that is referred to here in verse 5? And what is the point the writer is making in this verse? To those who believe, the writer again uses Psalm 95. We talked about this last week. In particular here, he's using verse 8, which is the warning from the other passage. God's people who had seen great miracles in the Exodus from Egypt never entered God's rest. Having great leaders like Moses, Joshua, and Caleb did not cover for the people's unbelief and rebellion. Not only did the people's sin keep them from possessing the land, it kept them from a close relationship with God. We must be careful that we don't believe we are Christians just because we belong to a good church or have a good Christian family. The Israelites, God's chosen people, failed to enter because they disobeyed God. But that doesn't mean God's place of rest no longer exists. It's still there for people to enter. Next, let's look at verses seven and eight. So God set another time for entering his rest, and that time is today. God announced this through David much later in the words already quoted. Today, when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Now, if Joshua had succeeded in giving them this rest, God would not have spoken about another day of rest still to come. The question simply here is, beloved, what is the point of these verses? Humanity didn't lose its chance for salvation with Israel's failure, but the writer warns his readers not to harden their hearts. The phrase, God said another time, it means that the time of rest will come, indeed has come, and the time is today. At the time of the writing of Psalm 95, which is partially quoted in this verse, no one had entered God's complete rest. Many Jewish people had believed that they had already received God's rest by inhabiting the land of Canaan, the promised land but the writer argues that's not the case. Joshua and the Israelites did settle Canaan and did achieve a period of peace and prosperity. Yet, if this had been God's promised rest, God would not have spoken about another day of rest still to come. So the rest was not in the land, but in God's kingdom. Verse 9 is next. It says, So there is a special rest still waiting for the people of God. The question is, what is the special rest the writer refers to And why was it important to the readers of this book? The word so, do you see that? The word so, it indicates that the following is a logical conclusion from what he wrote about in the previous verses. The words special rest are one word in the Greek, and this is the only place in the entire Greek Bible that it appears. The kind of rest the author described is different from what the Israelites expected. This rest referred to what God did when he completed creation. This rest is still waiting and has not been fulfilled, as the writer has explained. So why would this special rest have been so important to the readers of the book? The readers, Jewish Christians, had two important reasons to look forward to rest. Number one, Jewish history was filled with wonderings and political turmoil, so to finally rest in the full and realized promise of God would be a great comfort. And number two, Christians in the first century often faced deprivation and hardships, the animosity of Satan's agents, and the carrying of one's cross, identifying them with Jesus. Those who turned from the Jewish faith to Christianity often incurred the wrath of other Jews, oftentimes being excommunicated, and wrath from their families being disowned. To enter God's promised rest was a great promise. The struggle will be done and pain will be over, yet this rest remains only for the people of God. Although the Jewish people were originally offered the rest and refused it, God's plan could not be stopped. God offered it to others, both Jews and Gentiles, who believed in Jesus Christ as Savior. Verse 10 is next. It says, For all who have entered into God's rest have rested from their labors, just as God did after creating the world. Our question is, again, the writer equates entering into God's rest with what God did in Genesis chapter 2. What is his point? The point here is that those who desire the ultimate blessings of God, or our rest, can only obtain this rest in a particular way. In fact, this verse helps to explain the use and meaning of the word rest in this entire passage. God rested when he completed his creation. Israel was denied their rest in Canaan because they refused to complete their God-ordained work. This rest, then, is not the end of activity or the beginning of relaxation. It's the completion of a task. This verse also summarizes by saying that those who enter into the rest offered by God are those who have completed the works he's given them. This is why the writer insists that we hold fast to our faith, unlike the nation of Israel at the borders of Canaan. Verse 11 is next. So let us do our best to enter that rest. But if we disobey God, as the people of Israel did, we will fall. The question is, what does this verse mean? This verse is what's called an intentional paradox. Let us do our best to enter that rest, it said. We need to strive to obtain what is ours by promise, but not yet by our experience. The children of Israel had been promised the good land, but it wasn't theirs until they possessed it. All believers must diligently work out their faith, seeking to obey Jesus day by day, drawing closer to God through experiences in life. There's no time while living on earth at which a Christian arrives at spirituality. Each day, God's people are making a choice, either to grow closer to him or drift away. Nevertheless, the message here is a warning to people who would be lazy in their spiritual life. Laziness can cause a person to fall into disobedience and anyone who disobeys God will fall. Today's pressures make it easy to ignore and forget the lessons of the past. But the author cautions readers to remember the lessons the Israelites learned about God so they would avoid repeating the Israelites' errors. And now our last verses for today, brothers and sisters, verses 12 and 13. For the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes, and he is the one to whom we are accountable. Our final question today is this. What does this verse say about the word of God and what it does in a person's life? God will discern whether or not we make every effort, whether or not we've truly come to faith in Christ. It says nothing in all creation is hidden from God. We may fool ourselves or other Christians with our spiritual lives, but we can't deceive God. He knows who we really are because the word of God is alive and powerful. The word of God can't be taken for granted or disobeyed. The Israelites who rebelled learned the hard way that when God speaks, they should listen. Going against God means facing judgment and death. The Word of God is living, it's life-changing and dynamic, and it works in us. The demands of the Word of God require decisions. We not only listen to it, we let it shape our lives, because the Word of God is living. It applied to these first-century Jewish Christians, and it applies to Christians today as well. You know, most books may appear to be dusty artifacts just sitting on a shelf, but the Word of God, it vibrates with life. The Word of God penetrates through our outer facade and reveals what lies deep inside. The metaphor of the sharpest two-edged sword, it pictures the Word of God cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow, revealing what we really are like on the inside. Nothing can be hidden from God. Neither can we hide from ourselves if we sincerely study the Word of God. It teaches deep past our outer life as a knife passes through skin. Two thoughts are presented by the phrase, everything is naked and exposed before his eyes. Number one, we can't give excuses, justifications, or reasons. Everything is seen for exactly what it is. No one can deceive God. And number two, we're exposed, powerless, and defenseless before God. The word refers to the paralyzing grip of a wrestler in a chokehold. The word of God penetrates like a sword, exposing us to God Himself, to whom we must explain all that we've done. All people must give an account to God, but without trappings or rationalizations. Those words give warning, but Believers must be careful not to drift away, but to obey God wholeheartedly. God is the final judge. This verse paves the way for the following section, which we'll talk about next week, describing Jesus Christ as our high priest. With our lives laid bare before God, we would be hopelessly lost without Christ. Because he took our judgment and serves as our advocate with God, we can rest secure with him. Well folks, this brings us to the end of yet another amazing study in Hebrews. It just keeps getting better and better. Let me recap what we just talked about today. Today's scripture passage reassured Christians then and now that they have not missed their opportunity to enjoy the rest God promised. The writer pointed out that psalmists like David, who came along after Moses, encouraged Israel to obtain God's rest today. Since God's rest on the seventh day of creation came only after his work was done, And Israel only suffered loss when they failed to complete their assigned work Christians should strive to complete the work given them by God in order to obtain the greater heavenly rewards the most potent tool we have in this effort beloved is the razor-sharp Word of God next time we're going to be studying the second part of Hebrews chapter 4 starting with verse 14 and going all the way over to chapter 5 verse 10 and we'll be talking about Christ is our high priest Thanks again for being with me today. It's been a joy to have you. Hope you have an amazing rest of your day and week. I'll see you again right here next time. Until then, God bless you. Go in peace. Thanks for listening. Join us again next time for another encouraging message from God's Word. To find out more about our ministry, look us up on the web at www.whccnb.org. Word of Hope Christian Church, real people, a real God, real hope.